thank you so much for joining with us. For those uh, watching online and those in person, we want to welcome everybody. If you're brand new, uh, my name is Dave Berenger. I'm the pastor of K-First, and I'm just celebrating that you're uh, worshiping with us this morning. And if you have your Bibles, uh, would you open up to the book of Philippians? And this is what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to grab my digital Bible down here. Why? Because Pastor Dave forgot his Bible in his office this morning. Sometimes pastors forget their Bibles. So I've had people literally say, don't you have it memorized? Okay. Just Leviticus. That's the only one I've memorized this morning. Now we are diving into this series on Philippians where we are talking about joy. We are reconstructing joy and seeing it really be one of the flags of our lives as believers. I believe the greatest flag we can have as a believer of, of Christ is love. And joy is a very, very close number two. Our lives should be accentuated by joy and, our, and people should be able to look at us and see joy. And as we said in week one, happiness is dependent upon outward circumstances where joy is a state of our soul. It is a part of us on the inside and it, and it doesn't matter what happens on the outside. We should walk in joy. So I'm going to read Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 12 through, um, 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in, as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling. One amen, or disputing. The rest of you, get saved, that you may be in blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of crooked and twisted generation amongst whom you shine as uh, lights to the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain nor labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Jesus, we thank you for this awesome time. I pray that every word that would go forth would be your words, inspired by your presence that it would hit our hearts and be like seed upon fertile soil, that it would grow and cause fruit to be born. Let our lives be marked by joy. Let people look at us and see a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory, God. I just love you so much. And Lord, I, I'm done with the lions. Thank you for the wolverines. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Goodness gracious. Um, have you ever tried to cancel something like cable? Anybody ever try where you call, it's, it's the worst because you call and all you want to do is get rid of cable. You're done with AT&T, you're done with UVerse, you're done with whatever. I think that's the same company. And you call, hey, just want to let you know, I'm done. I'm getting ready to walk into a meeting. I've done that before. I'm ready to walk into a meeting. No, 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 don't, don't go anywhere, sir. We need to send you to a cancellation specialist. There are cancellation specialists out there that are, I believe they're trained very similar to my brother-in-law who was an interrogator for the army at one point. And they, they get on with you and they will guilt trip you into, do you realize what you're starving your children of if you do this? Well, sir, let me ask you, what do you watch? I'm like, well, I watch football. Well, do you realize you can't watch the Lions anymore? That's why I'm getting rid of cable. I want more joy in my life. <laughs> Terrible argument, people. So, yeah, I've, I've gone through that, trying to cancel. I, but I remember something that I tried canceling back in college. Ever do something stupid in college? There's a few of you. They won't admit it. 
All right, I've done numbers of stupid things in my life. And, and one thing when I first got to college is I heard my friends talking about working out. I'm like, man, I should do that. I gained my freshman 40. I'm like, I need to do something about that. And so I went with my friends to a local gym, and we went through the gambit. We got the free workout for the day. And that day, I decided to sign a contract for two years of utilizing the gym. <laughs> Meanwhile, I don't have a vehicle at college. I can't even get to the gym. And have you ever tried to quit a gym where they have tacticians and specialists that start walking around? Do you realize what type of body are you looking to have? What type of impression are you wanting to have? Or what are you wanting to look like at the beach? I'm like, I haven't changed ever. This is just what I look like. And they will guilt you. And for two years, for real, I couldn't quit. For two years, I paid 20 bucks a month. And it may not sound like a lot to you, but for a guy that looked for change in the cushions of the TV room to buy a Coke, I'm telling you, 20 bucks was a lot. In fact, I sold football cards. I sold three Steve Young rookie cards to help pay for my stupid gym membership that I couldn't quit. Have you ever had things you just couldn't cancel and you had to live with? Nobody point at your spouse, please. <laughs> when we think about, when I think about canceling, this is why Paul kind of wrote this portion of scripture. Because he's realizing that there are some people that are canceling the joy in their life because of the way that they're living and the mold that they're operating in. And so he starts talking about this idea of complaining. Anybody know a complainer in the room? People are raising their hands. Awesome. Paul begins to talk about this. And what I love is the way he begins this whole section. So look at verse 12. This is awesome. Verse 12, he starts off with the word therefore. This is, this is very basic Bible study here. If you ever see the word therefore in Scripture, you have to find out why it's therefore. Look at that. Why is that word therefore? Why is it therefore? And why, that's why you go to the previous verses, uh, verses 1 through 11, where Paul talks about unity in the church. We preached about that. The humility of Christ, we preached about that. It's like, listen, since you want to be unified, and since we've seen the example in Christ Jesus, therefore, it's time to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is a, an amazing verse that I think everyone should memorize, that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, when we talk about working out, uh, we're talking about developing something. Paul says, work out your salvation. Now, what it doesn't say, this is not what it doesn't, this is not what it says. It doesn't say, work on your salvation so that you can be saved. It, it doesn't say that you can do works or you can do things to get salvation. There are some people that will preach and teach that you have to work your way to heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, run from them. There are some people that believe if you do enough good works, it can outweigh the bad works. Ladies and gentlemen, run from them too. That's cult-like activity. It's not about outweighing the good and the bad. It's not about that. In fact, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says that we are saved by grace through faith. Oh, some of you did Bible quiz and stuff. Awesome. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. It's not by our own works, because if we can do it ourselves, guess who gets to take the credit? Pastor Dave does, because he preached about it. I'm kidding. We all get to take the credit. But this grace that we're given, it's, it's this beautiful gift, because Jesus did the work on the cross. We don't have to work for our salvation. Then you're like, well, why did Paul write 
to work out your salvation. Because it's not about working to get it, it's about developing it. In fact, if you ever do a study of the book of Romans, we should do that on a Sunday morning. The book of Romans is a deep reservoir of theology. It's fantastic. And salvation is talked about in a way that numbers of us don't talk about or we don't think about when we think of salvation. In fact, Paul in the book of Romans, you hear Paul a lot. He wrote half, you know, half the New Testament here, if not most of the New Testament. Paul writes and talks about three types of salvation. Three, I should say three levels. Now, three types, three levels. First, there's justification. There's a fancy word, justification. Justification happens that when we put our faith in Jesus, Jesus' work on the cross and the resurrection justifies us, makes us new, makes us whole. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we are given justification. We are made brand new. The old is past and we're new creatures. How many of you think God, that God justified you through Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. That's wonderful. One person clapped. Awesome. Then the second level. So we've got, we were saved at the cross and resurrection. Then we are sanctified. So we got justification, sanctification. That's the most simple way to put it. It's the process of becoming. And so the idea is that just because we're saved doesn't mean that God is done working in us and working on us. God is still working on these lives. And so we, are, we were saved, we are being saved, and then we've got the last word, which is glorification. That means that someday in heaven, I'm going to be fully saved. I'm no longer going to deal with some of the brokenness of my own life. I'm no longer going to deal with some of the struggles that I have. Um, I've, I've never hidden the fact that I've, I've, been, uh, I've dealt with depression throughout most of my life. And I'm thankful, thankful that one day I'll never have to worry about that ever again because I will be fully, completely saved. No more tears, uh, no, no more depression, no more Detroit Lions, no more things that steal our joy. Hallelujah. We're going to be glorified. So we've got these three levels. But what Paul is talking about is that middle level. And he says, it's time to work out your salvation. It's time to get to work. It's time to put some things into practice. It's time to work it out. Touch your neighbor. Tell your neighbor, you need to work out. You got to begin to work all this stuff out. Don't tell me, I'll work out it in heaven. There's nothing to work on in heaven. Jesus will have taken care of it. it is, we have to work on it now. Let me teach you two theological words that you might or might not be, might be familiar with, I don't know. One word is the word ecclesiology. That is the study of the church. Ecclesia is church, and ecclesiology is the study of the church. Then there's eschatology. Eschatology is the study of end times or future events. And so ecclesiology, study of the church, eschatology, study of the end times. We are a church, we believe that we have end times. I believe we're in the end times and we talk about the rapture of the church. We talk about the second coming of Christ. Um, I've been to the Valley of Armageddon. People are like, what did it look like? And it was literally a field. There are no armies lined up right now. All right? It's, it's far, far, far ahead. Um, I, I believe in having healthy eschatology, but sometimes we can look at the eschatology of Jesus returning, Jesus coming back, being in heaven, the blessed hope that we have, and we think that's a someday, but we need to be the type of church that has an understanding of the future that is actually lived out right now. That if one day God is going to ultimately save us, we need to actually not wait for God to do something then. We want God to do something right now. And that's why I wrote that our understanding of the future should shape how, our, how we live right now. That we need to live out what's true in the kingdom now and not wait for the kingdom to come then. 
Jesus said, the kingdom has come. John the Baptist preached, the kingdom has come. Are you saying, you're talking about heaven's happened already? No, Jesus is the kingdom. And he has come. He is here. And so Paul says, listen, because of the unity and because of his humility, you need to put this stuff into practice. Be the church of eternity today, right now. That the joy that we will have someday can be the joy that you and I have right now. Oh, man. I, the one thing that I've learned to really love to do, I've learned to love to do funerals. That may be, seem really weird or morbid to a few of you in the room. Some of you, I'm looking forward to doing your funeral. Not that I want you to go anywhere. <laughs> and one person mouthed off to me. I said, be careful. If I outlast you, I got to do your funeral. I, go, I guess that's true. <laughs> I love it. Because the beautiful thing that I love proclaiming is that when death takes place, it reminds us that hope is not just for someday. Hope is for today. Hope is for now. And I love the opportunity to proclaim the hope that we have in Jesus right now. But for some reason, some people in the body of Christ aren't recognizing that some of the hope and the joy that they could be possessing here, that they're actually, it's not being taken from them. But they've given it away because of what they have allowed to grow in their life. Let me say it this way. Some of us in the house, we've allowed the joy of serving God and the joy of Christ in our life to diminish. Not because of outward circumstances, but what we've allowed to grow and to flourish inside of our life. And this is why Paul talks about joy and begins to talk about the issue of complaining. Because he's, he's, he's looking, he's saying, listen, if you don't deal with complaining, it's going to cancel your joy. You want to talk about canceling? If you don't deal with complaining, it will, it's not other people robbing. Well, if you knew who I was complaining about, I don't know what's happened to you, but I do recognize what's happening within you. God calls us to deal with our joy. That's why it says here in verse number 12. It says, therefore, my beloved, as, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but in, much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, look here, I put, I put up the, the meanings of the Greek words because I think this is important. As you've always obeyed, not now. Work out, which means to, in Greek, to continually work to bring something into completion. I love that. It means that you can't do a quick workout. Like, it's like doing one sit-up and think you can get a six-pack. Some of us think we attend church once, and once during the week and we don't have to do anything else with the Lord and we're thinking that's going to grow us stronger in Christ. Paul says that you've got to work it out. Continually work to bring something into completion. Your, now the word your is plural, so Paul's not writing to the person he doesn't like in the church. I hope this guy in the Philippian church gets this. The your is all of us. He's saying work out your salvation with fear, which is awe and reverence, and trembling. I love that word trembling because I've, I read that years ago and I thought that when I had to work out my salvation with Jesus, that I had to do that scared to death that he was going to smite me, there's a great word, smite me with a hammer like he's Thor. I had this fear that if I did something wrong that, I, that all of a sudden God was just going to take me out. But the word Trembling means it's a realization of weakness, that God is a necessity in your life. That we live out our life recognizing that we are doing this thing together, that we have this awe and reverence for God, knowing that we can't, we tremble not because we're scared of God, we tremble out of this weakness that says, I need help 
and I want God's help. And it says in verse 13, for it is God who works. The word there is energizes in you to both will and to work. I like the NIV, to will and to act for his good pleasure. That word energio, we get the word energizes. It's God who works in us. He energizes us. He helps us. In other words, that when God expects something of your life, he doesn't ever expect you to do it on your own. He doesn't expect you. He will empower you. If God calls you, he will empower you. If God shows you, he will go with you. If God sends you, he will be with you. This is the type of God that we serve. He doesn't abandon us, but he empowers us to do what we need to do. And so Paul begins to give us some very practical instruction. And now for you grammar people in the room, and and you don't like run-on sentences, I might have some English teachers in the house here. In the Greek language, verses 14, 15, and 16 would annoy you. Because it's one long sentence. In the English, we've broken it up a bit and we've thrown, uh, we've thrown a bunch of uh, punctuation and stuff, but it's just a ginormous sentence. And so Paul begins to write out, do all things without grumbling or disputing. What things? What things? Do all things. What does all mean in the Greek? All. Not just church things. Not just the spiritual things, not just the things that people see, but in all things, in your workplace, in your marketplace, in your home place. What is a home place? That's a store over here. In your home, in the neighborhoods, wherever you go, in your thought life, in your private life, in all things, he says, do it without grumbling or disputing. Why? Because complaining is like a rash. My dad... He is so allergic to poison ivy that if he even say the word, he breaks out in a rash. It is terrible. Like growing up, I remember seeing him, he'd have a spot on his arm, all of a sudden that spot would be large. Why? Because the more attention you pay to it, itching it, it's going to spread. And then mom and dad gave birth to me, and I can literally wade through poison ivy, touch poison oak, play around with it, wave it at him, and it does nothing to to me whatsoever. And And he's like, you better thank God. I'm like, I am, but I'm having a lot of fun with it right now. Complaining is no different. Because when we start complaining, not only does it begin to affect our own spirit, but it will begin to spread through us and it actually spreads into the people around us. Complaining is that rash that has an outbreak that unless you do something purposely to stop it and solve it, it will continue to manifest and to grow. I'm a PK. You know what PK means in the church? I'm a pastor's kid. Some of you feel bad for me right now. It's true. I am a Third generation, fourth generation pastor's kid. I've just got, it means I've got tons of issues. I have seen a lot of things in the church and things that a little kid should never have to see or hear about in the church. Yes, I've had people come to me when I was a little guy say, would you tell your dad something for me? And they're telling me something for him to correct or to change because they think I've got authority over my father or the church itself. Um, Oddly enough, I'll say this. My kids have been asked this question in their schools, I guess back when they were, in school, if your dad dies, do you inherit the church? (laughs) We don't have that much power as PKs. None of that power as PKs. But you know what I've seen over the years as a PK and then now as a pastor? As I've watched people come into church, I've watched people put their faith in Jesus. I've watched people excited about their new church, the new congregation, 
And then I've also watched those same individuals lend their ear to complainers and the joy they had once manifested in their life begin to erode away because they entertained complaining. I want to say it this way. Joy is not stolen, it's given away. Stop saying somebody stole your joy. No, 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 no. They can steal your happiness. They can't steal your joy because happiness is depending upon external. Joy is what Jesus gives us. And some of us are just surrendering our joy to things and to people. And God is calling us to do something about that which wants to grip us and to cancel the joy in your life. Some of us have been complaining about all of the things that have been going on and then you've been reaping the fruit of the complaining. Let me give you a word this morning. Stop complaining about the fruit you possess from the seeds that you previously planted. Because if you've been planting complaining, if you've been planting grumbling, if you've been planting negativity, do not come to me and complain that you're reaping the fruit of everything that you have seeded. And this is what Paul is trying to get under grips with the Philippian church. Don't cancel your joy. Don't seed this thing because this is the stuff that's going to grow. Verse 15, I love this. He gives very specific language. He says that you may be innocent to me, blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now, if you get a chance to highlight that verse in your Bible or underline that verse, that's very important. Why? Because Paul is a rabbi. He's a teacher. And Paul, Jewish, Jewish children of that day would have learned about the first five books of the Bible. They call it the Torah. We call it the Pentateuch. There's a fancy word. I'm teaching all sorts of fancy words today. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, we've got those five. Rabbis and teachers would memorize those. Some of you are thinking, God, you've never been a rabbi. They have to memorize all five of those books. And so Paul is utilizing specific language. He uses the words, children of God and crooked and twisted generation. Why are those words used specifically? Because he's linking to the book of Deuteronomy. Why is that so important? Because when the children of Israel in the book of Exodus came out of slavery, came out of Egypt, and they were on their way to the place that God had prepared, God had to confront the people, the children of God. They were called children of God. He had to confront them. Why? Because they were complaining. And because they continue to complain over and over and begin to spread through the whole nation, they end up wandering for 40 years until that generation of complainers have moved on because they couldn't rightfully possess what God had in store because they couldn't hold on to that because they're too busy holding on to the negativity and the complaining in their spirits. And so Paul is linking Philippian church back to this moment saying, listen, don't sacrifice what God has in front of you for what's trying to eat you alive right now. Paul is trying to show them the seriousness of complaining. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 10 through 11, and don't complain as the Israelites did. Don't complain. Don't lose out on the promise. Don't give away what God has in store for you. Don't let, the, don't let the enemy take the joy of your marriage or the joy of your family or the joy of what he wants to do at your job or the joy of what he wants to do in the community. Don't give it away. God is at work. And so he says, listen, deal with your heart and deal with this issue of complaining. Now, I've had some people say to me, well, pastor, oh, well, what, what if something is immoral? What if there's a, an issue of justice that's got to be served? I've learned this. There's a difference between complaining and challenging. One stands from the outside hurling stones. The other gets on the inside and challenges in order to do something right. 
Anybody can cast the stone. Anybody can, can call off on the bleachers. But to get into the place and to challenge, that's why I remember I had a problem with something going on with, within our state, within a law. And so I had sent a text over to um, one of our senators. She called me right back. We talked for 40 minutes. And at the end of the 40 minutes, you know what? We still didn't agree. And yet I walked away like I felt hurt. I felt like she, she got my opinion. And not that I think my opinion matters. Well, it does matter in my mind. But it's, it's not the only opinion. But I remember thinking to myself, instead of complaining, instead of tweeting about her or posting about it, what if I did the challenge thing and actually did things right? Because when it comes to complain, complaining, we take it this way when we should take it this way. We should take things to the Lord and quite honestly with humans, we should begin to take it upwards and deal with people in the right, proper manner. Or else we're going to get ourselves shaken and out of the place where we lose our joy. I love what my bestie Beth Moore says. And I say bestie just because I follow her on Twitter. Beth Moore says this. Quit complaining from the bleachers if you're unwilling to sweat on the fields. You know what? Let's raise up a generation of challengers. It's okay to challenge. But challenging says, I do more than give my opinion. I want to be a part of the solution. God, fill our churches in Kalamazoo, not with complainers, but God, give us the spirit of challenges that we will challenge the status quo, that we will challenge the same old, same old, that we will challenge average, that we will want to move ahead and love people in a way that nobody else will love them. Why? Because they're human, made in the image of God, and we want them to encounter the true love and compassion of Jesus Christ. God, let us challenge the status quo. Let us challenge the rules, not in order just to shake up what we feel like we want to shake up but because we want to see the kingdom of God come to Kalamazoo here right now so many, so many times we're just complaining about what's happening I've, I've, I've said this, if you don't like what's happening be a challenger, get involved you don't, can't find a small group, start a small group you can't find a place to serve Create a place to serve. You don't know what to do, give. You don't know what to do, offer. You don't know what to do, serve. Do something and be a part of the movement of God that's happening around this city. Now, some of us are praying for a move of God. Guess what? I think Jesus is praying that you would become part of the move of God. To go and to be that which he's called you to be. The word grumbling there in verse 14, this is a great word. Now, I think this is a God moment I had this past week. Because my brother-in-law, who gave me the word Shazam, he says, you've got to use that in a message. I challenge you. And so I did it actually three times. And so my other brother-in-law goes, well, Dave will say something that we give him. So at Thanksgiving, they're trying to think of words to give me. And he goes, all right, I've got one for you. You have to use the word onomatopoeia. <laughs> I'm like, how am I going to use onomatopoeia? So Jim, if you're watching, I got gotcha. you. And so I began, as I began to study the Greek, I realized the word grumbling is an onomatopoeia. You know what that is? It's a word that means what it sounds like. Like the word sizzle. It means what it sounds like. Or the word bang means what it sounds like. The word grumbling is an, actually, it's an onomatopoetic word. I just butchered that one. And it means in the Greek, under your breath, growling. So when the Greek word was used, it sounds like what it means. It's this under the breath, secretive growling that's happening in your heart. And so we have to recognize that what God is challenging us to do is challenging us to get rid of the grumbling, get rid of the things that are in here to give place and space for joy to breathe. So Paul gives us two reasons why we shouldn't complain. And they're the most basic, ordinary, elementary reasons that we all need. So if you're taking notes, write down. Number one, stop doing it for your sake. It's so simple. 
Stop doing it for your sake. It says this, verse 15, that you may be, the Greek word, become, that you might become something. He is saying, stop complaining because that way God can do something in your life. God is working. Do we recognize that almost every Sunday at least one person gives their heart to Christ? God is working. Do you realize that we've got new people that are coming out to the church that are checking things out, coming out of COVID? God is working. I get phone calls from people where God is, has been utilizing them in their workplace or God has been utilizing them in their home. God is at work. Some of us need to open up our eyes that so can begin to see God working around us and working within us. I get phone calls from people saying, man, I want to be discipled. I want to grow in Christ. Where can I get a Bible? Where do I start with my Bible? How can I do develop a prayer life. In a couple weeks, I'm going to do a baptism for a local family. Can I tell you this? God is at work. He is at work. He is always at work. And sometimes if we can set aside the complaining, we can open our eyes and see God is doing something magnificent and I should be a part of it. But if we complain, let me tell you this, complaining, it doesn't help the move of God. All it does is give your negative past, your negative experiences new life. It gives it a second breath. It's mouth to mouth on the negative experiences that you've gone through. We've got to set it aside and dive into what God has. Because we don't complain, the scripture says, so that you may be, that you may become light and life to the people around you. So he says, first of all, stop doing it for your sake. And secondly, stop doing it for the sake of others. Stop doing it for the sake of others. That you may become blameless, innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked um, and twisted generation amongst whom you shine as lights of the world. Look at the two words that are there. Now he uses words out of Deuteronomy, but in the Greek language we get the word crooked, which means not aligned. We get the word scoliosis. A spine that's not aligned, it's twisted. And then twisted means something that is out of shape. The idea that when we complain... Complaining will take your life and it will twist it, unalign it, unalign if that's a word, and it will pull you out of the shape that you are meant to be in. You can know all of the Bible in the world, but if you are a complainer, you are going to misrepresent the Jesus that was meant to shine through you. That you can go to church all you want, but if you judge people and you refuse to love people based upon who they are or what they represent, you're going to misrepresent Jesus. It will twist you. It will pull you out of shape. And I promise you this, that when you get in alignment with God, it may mean that you're not going to be in alignment with people around you anymore. When you get aligned with God, it may, it may mean you might be, not be aligned with that Christian friend like you used to be. Why? Because you're going to love differently than they're going to love. You're going to forgive differently than they're going to forgive. Paul is trying to align. All right, when I go to bed at night, I'm trying to relax my brain, and I've gotten addicted. Please don't judge me. This is weird. I'm addicted to watching people get their backs cracked. I don't know what's wrong with me. There's something mesmerizing. Like the guy put something around the lady's neck and just pulled. Like, I thought that was like hangman noose things, but no, it aligned her spine. She was like, oh, that was so good. I'm like, why? And then all of a sudden her legs are the right length. And what? And I can't stop watching. Why? Because there's something about the spine when the spine is realigned that causes nerves to operate better. Blood flow. 
muscles to work better. And what if, what if your complaining has been the source of the reason why you haven't experienced full joy is because you're not, you don't have, you're not lined up with Jesus anymore. Your spirit isn't lined up anymore. And maybe today the spirit of God needs to do a little... <laughs> a little, little twist. Maybe the spirit of God wants to kind of do a work in your life and wants to begin to untwist some of the feelings and the judgments you've had over people. Some of the discrimination, some of the hate, some of the bitterness, some of the anger. You got things to be angry about? I do too. But we need the spirit of God to come in and untwist our hearts. Because to be in alignment with him, it's going to mean that we're not always going to be in alignment with how the world wants us to act. Let me wrap up. Scripture says in verse 15 through 16, I want to read this. This is so important. We do this for ourselves and we do this for others so that we can shine as lights to the world. Paul is saying that when we can shut up our complaining, not just with our mouths, but with our hearts, he literally says, it's so that you could be a light to the world. So that you could represent Jesus to the people around you. So that people could taste your life and, say, and taste and see that the Lord is good. Life isn't always fair. And, and, and I've experienced unfair life and I'm not going to create a boohoo situation for me and give you all the reasons why I felt life is unfair. But I will say this. There is a part of me that still wants to be a complainer. And for years, I remember when I first got in ministry for years, that's all I can do was complain. Complain about this, complain about that, complain. But the more that I complain, the more I begin to lodge a wedge in my heart that keeps a wound open that makes my joy fall out. And so my challenge to you today as I wrap up, and I'm going to need some sort of musician to help me shut up here. There's just two simple things I want to give you today as you leave. It's number one, if you have a complaining heart, I'm going to challenge you. Walk in gratitude. Walk in gratitude. When you can't see what God is doing, walk in gratitude with what he's done. When you're getting discouraged about what you're experiencing, walk in gratitude with what God has done. When you're feeling frustrated about what life has handed you, walk in gratitude with what God has done. I just got interviewed this week for a podcast to talk about depression and depression within the church. And it was like one of the things that we, we need to do in terms of dealing with the issue of discouragement and the issue of frustration and the, even the issue of complaining. It's learning to thank God for what he has done. Because like we said earlier, if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, we thank him for what he's done, knowing that he's going to keep continuing to do things in the future. We walk in gratitude. And secondly, and I think this is huge, I want you to speak prophetically over your life. I want you to start speaking things as though they were. And I'm not talking about being positive for positive sake. Speaking prophetically is speaking the name of Jesus over situations. I don't ever ignore reality. I've never ignored reality in terms of what I've gone through in my life. I've never ignored it once. But what I've learned to do, and I know my parents have shown me this for years. My parents have modeled this for years. Is whenever we see what is, we begin to speak what it could be in the name of Jesus. And we begin to speak prophetically over that. 
This is the darkness that I see, but you know what? I've got a great light in the midst of my darkness. This is the diagnosis, but you know what, Lord? We're going to begin to trust you for healing and trust you for deliverance. I've got a wayward child, man. I've been a youth pastor for as long as I've been. I've sat with numbers of brokenhearted parents, parents that we have held hands, that we have prayed, we have cried, and we have walked through. And what we spoke over those children, what we spoke over those teenagers that are now, wow, they're all now adults now, is we begin to speak life over them. Lord, I know Michael is wayward. I know what Michael is winding from God, but Lord, right now, Lord, we begin to speak life over him, God. We speak people to cross his path that would show him the name of Jesus. We speak an encounter with your presence. Speak things as though they were. Because some of us can be an inch away from breakthrough and that's where complaining wants to come in and rob us from the opportunity for breakthrough. Don't give up when you might be just an inch away. Keep trusting. Why? Because 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 6, such an amazing verse. It simply says, and those, let me get, those who hope in the Lord will never be disappointed. What a great reminder for you today.